0: Open your Bible to the book of 2 Kings. The book of 2 Kings, we we're preaching, we started preaching on mistakes of the mighty and we started way back with King Saul and now we've worked our way up through um, David and then we worked through Elijah and now we're working through the life of Elisha. And Second Kings chapter number 5 was very good. We saw miracles, we saw all kinds of important things, but chapter 6 is where we saw that visible miracle that Elisha caused the axe head to float, the passage that liberals really attack in this day to which we live. People don't believe the Bible or believe just enough of it to be dangerous. They attack those kinds of miracles in the Bible, they say that can't happen. Well, listen, folks, I don't care what you say can't happen. When Jesus touches it, anything can happen, all right? And so, uh, we, we saw that. That was an amazing thing. But then, God brings us to something that I hope will help us tonight. I've kind of split this into two two uh, different parts. We talked about when you are overwhelmed how to overcome The overcomers who are overwhelmed, we talked about that. Tonight, we're going to deal with how to handle our enemies. Now, we're going to have to kind of set the stage a little bit for some of you who may not know where we are, but we're going to look at how to deal with our enemies. Most all of us have enemies, right? If you don't, you will have. And uh, if you can get by a week without it, you're really good. But enemies is what we all have. So, in 2 Kings chapter 6, go to... 2 Kings chapter 6, and then I want you to look over into verse number 15. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city both with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, "Alas, alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, fear not, for they that be with us are more than they be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee Open his eyes. He didn't say, Open my eyes. Elisha didn't say, Open my eyes. He didn't need his eyes open. He already knew it was out there. Okay? He said, Open his eyes, this young, this young, new trainee that took Gehazi's place as his servant. He said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses, and listen, and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Now, chariots of fire, of course, are angels. I'm going to show you that in a moment. And so, the first thing he does to protect this young man is he prayed. That's all he did. He just prayed that God would open his eyes. Do you see that? And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, smite this people. Look, he prayed again. He prayed that God would open his eyes and then he prayed God would close their eyes. The enemies had gathered all around them. They thought they had them cornered. They thought they had come to finally take them over. And so God smote them with blindness And Elisha said to them, this is not the way. He said, they all come down to take one man. (laughs) That's why he's called the chariot of Israel. Listen, folks, it doesn't matter how many men you've got. If you don't have God's man, you're in trouble, amen? And so he had a man of God. That's why a lot of churches can get things done that other churches can't because they have a man of God. They have some women of God. They have some people who walk with God. And so as a result of that, they have the same right to pray as Elijah did, right? We can pray that God will open eyes. We can pray that God will close eyes. And so notice, notice that he says to him, shall we smite them in verse 21? Shall we smite them? Here, he takes them in their blindness, and Elisha said, well, you're, you're at the wrong place. We need to take you down here and get the, to get the guy you really want, which was the king. So he takes this whole army, blind, can't see a lick. He takes them all with their uh, their canes and their dogs and they all head down to where the king was. And when they got there, here they were, captive, blind, couldn't see, couldn't fight. And so look what he says, shall we smite them? Shall I smite them? In other words, he said, if anybody gets to kill them, let it be me. I want to get in on this killing. But look, he answered, thou shalt not smite them. Wouldst thou smite those whom thou hast taken captive with thy sword and with thy bow, set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master? He prepared great provision for them, and they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away. Now, I want you to look, look, listen, and they went to their master So the bands of Syria came no more into the land of Israel. You know what stopped all the battles from taking place? Two prayers. Two prayers. They had fought battle after battle after battle, enemy after enemy after enemy, killing after killing after killing, and two prayers solved it. One to open his eyes, the other to close his eyes. Folks, we all learn something of that tonight, amen? Let's ask God to open our eyes that we might see. Father, help us to see from the Word of God what you want us to tonight. Help us not to be ashamed to preach the Word of God no matter who's here, no matter what they want or what they uh, would like to see or when they would like to get out. God, I don't care about any of those things. I just ask that you'll open their eyes that they might see and behold wondrous things out of thy law. We love you and we thank you that you are God of mercy, you are God of compassion, you're God of love, you're God of care. Sometimes we miss that when we're dealing with all the sin and filth in this world. We forget what kind of God we have. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. Enemies is something we all have to deal with sooner or later in our life. We start in school and, you know, we Somebody bullies us, and we've got an enemy. Uh, maybe it's on the ball court. Maybe it's on the ball, uh, ball field. Maybe it's in the classrooms. Maybe it's in the hallways. I don't know, but there's always somebody. We make enemies from our childhood all the way through our life. And Abraham Lincoln said the best way to destroy your enemy is to make him your friend. That's pretty good advice, isn't it? And one enemy, he said, uh, can do more hurt than ten friends can do good. You see, if you want to help somebody, uh, being an enemy to them is not going to make anything happen good in their life. Look, George Herbert said, one enemy is too much. One enemy is too much. And listen to what Oscar Wilde said. A man cannot be too careful in the choice of his enemies. I mean, listen, you've got to be careful who your enemy is. You might get one that's a lot, lot harder than you thought. You might get into a, 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 a yellow jacket nest if you're not careful. So be careful when you pick your enemies. An enemy was reporting, an old. Uh, a reporter was interviewing an old man on his hunter's birthday. Hunter's birthday. Seems like now we're seeing more of those than we ever did. There's people living a little bit longer now, or some people. And he said, what are you most proud of in your 100 years? He said, well, he said, I guess it's this. He said, um, uh, when I just think about that question you just asked me, what I'm the most proud of, I guess being 100 years old, I'm most proud of the fact that I don't have an enemy in this world. He said, wow, how'd you do that? I outlived them all. Now, you can try that, but that might not work as well. Amen? But Ben Franklin made a statement, even though, uh, you know, some people said he was a Christian, some people was not, but we do know he feared God. And we do know he believed in prayer because he was the one who called the mighty prayer meeting to helped America be America. And listen to what Ben Franklin said. Love your enemies because they tell you your faults. I ain't got under conviction reading that. And then someone else said, "A man's greatness can be measured by his enemies. If every man speak well of you, there's something wrong with you. A man's measured by his enemies." When somebody comes to me and they say a certain person don't like you, a certain person said false things about you, and, you know, it happens all the time. It's a constant barrage. Uh, uh, or, or somebody sends me an email don't put their name on it or leaves me a note somewhere. And, 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 you know, somebody says, well, why would they do that? I said, I, I'm glad they're my enemy because I know who they are. I knew who they are. And so because they're my enemies, that means if they're my enemy, I must be doing something right. Y'all got that? And so, tonight, let's just look a little while at these unseen security, the unseen security that we have. Now, in verse number 16, you know, the, you, you know everything we've set here, we've set the scene. In verse 16, he tells us that our, our um, accepting our advantages in verse number 16 is one of the things that Christians need to understand. First of all, our advantage is that we have plentiful protection. In other words, we have the enemy outnumbered. Can I get a witness? Okay? Psalm 68 17. Do you remember what, when he opened that boy's eyes, what did he see? What did he see all around him? What did he see? Chariots of fire. Chariots of fire. Remember when Elisha got taken up to heaven? What was he taken up in? Chariot of fire. Let me show you who they were. Psalm 68, verse 17. Listen to this verse. The chariots of God are 20,000 and even thousands of angels, and the Lord is among them as in Sinai and in the holy place. There was more of them than it was the enemy, and we need to take advantage of the fact that we know we have plentiful protection. And so, you will know what those chariots of fire are. There was the angel of God. Now, they got to see them. You may not, maybe until, until later on when we get to heaven, But not only there's plentiful protection, but there's predominant protection. They not only had them outnumbered, they had them overpowered. Had them overpowered. These enemy heathen soldiers, they were men, they basically man for man, couldn't stand a chance against God's angels. Man for man, the enemy couldn't stand a chance against God's angels. I'm gonna have to say a third time because y'all ain't getting it. He said, "Man for man, the enemies didn't have a chance against God's angels. He has more than enough to defeat the demons and defeat your enemies. Now the demons are probably in on most of your enemies, but when we read the Book of Revelation, we know that there's two angels for every one demon. So we got them outnumbered anyway. It goes. Y'all got that?" And when you get in trouble next time, you just look at the devil and say, i got you outnumbered. There's more of us than you. I can't see them, but they're out there. In fact, I just, oh, bumped into one right there. You better watch it. And so, look, they were out, they were overpowered. You say, what does that mean? Well, Exodus 12, 23, the destroyer slipped into every home and left one dead. Nobody saw him come in, nobody saw him leave, but they saw the dead man, dead boy. Y'all with me? In 2 Samuel 24, verse number 16, 70,000 died by one angel's hand because David numbered the people and God told him not to do it. You remember that? In Second Chronicles thirty-two verse seven eight, one of the many smo- one of one of these many angels, just one, smote hundred and eighty-five thousand Assyrians in one night. It was so bad they were eating their kids, boiling them and eating them. That's how bad it was. And I noticed in that passage it says there be more with us than with them and that didn't look like that was possible because they was absolutely surrounded they were starving to death and what they was going to do but they went up and laid the book before God and said God would you just show up and help us and God showed up in one night and slew 185,000 I'd say that's pretty good angels wouldn't you I want those angels on my side. I remember one night in Acts chapter 12, old Peter was asleep and he was a- snoring away. You could have heard him three, 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 three pins down and here he, he was just cutting z's. and all of a sudden something happened and the door swung open. Somebody pecked him on the shoulder and said, get up from there and let's get out of here. Who is this nutcase? What's going on here? I'm dreaming. This can't be real. And so he grabbed him by the hands, chains fell off of him, and he walked out. Through that prison, guards couldn't see them. Guards didn't touch them. Guards couldn't harm them. And they walked right through the door and they went out into the city where God wanted Peter to be and he stuck him there, said, now get busy doing what I told you to do, which is to preach the gospel. And the next day, it astonished people Amen. that Peter walked out of a prison and not one shot was fired, not one knife was pulled. Not one punch was given. Woo, don't you like that? That's the best secret service and escape artist you can have is an angel. That's right. Revelation chapter 7 verse 1 says that four angels can hold the winds. Folks, when an angel can hold the wind, listen, where I live, I don't know what it is about that. I guess they got some big fan somewhere blowing wind at my house. It blows harder at my house than it does anywhere in Lebanon. I don't know where one of my enemies set that up or not. I'm not sure but it just blows. I mean, it's just, I can be here at the church, it's fine. I get home and it blows my hat over there and troopers eating on it and and I got to try to climb over there and get my thing. Then he jumps on me and I got hair all over and I got to go to the funeral home looking like I just been drugged across a carpet full of cats, you know? But any angel who can hold the winds, hold the winds is powerful. So me something else. Matthew 13, the Bible says, in the last day, when God gets ready, when he's giving the parable of the wheat and the tares, you remember? And when he explains that, he sent his servants, you remember, to collect them. Later on, when he explains that, in verses 40, I believe it is, he describes them as angels. And he said, the angels will gather the lost into bundles, and they shall be thrown into the lake of fire that burneth forever and ever. Did you know you say, I'll tell you something, I'm not going to go to hell, I'm just going to lay in the dirt. I'm telling you, there's going to be an angel standing at your bed, and if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you hear me tonight? If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, there'll be an angel standing at the foot of your bed. There'll be one to say, if you'll trust Jesus, you can go to heaven. If you don't trust Jesus, I'm going to drag you by the head of the hair, kicking and screaming, and you'll burn for eternity in hell. Amen. I know that's bad preaching for some of you. It scares you to death. Truth of the matter, it's going to happen. Jesus said it would. I'm glad there's going to be some angels take me up. Some... I, I, I won't ride one of those chariots. You know, one of those UFOs, my wife's convinced that there's two drones over our house. She sees them every night. She says, don't move. move. Just, just hover around there all the time. I, I don't know what they're watching. But, the, the, uh, you know, I, I just want to get one of those chariots of fire. It just flies off through the sky. The angel. And some, those people that you love and you stand by the bedside of people who's walked with God and loved Jesus and gave their life to Christ. When they leave that last breath, that angel sets them in a chariot of fire, and angels encircle them, and they take off like a jet and move them into the presence of the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Oh, we got some fast angels, amen? Some fast angels. And then Daniel six twenty two, he wasn't afraid of the lions because the angel, they went there and shut their mouth. I wish he'd go some homes and shut some people's mouths. Amen. I wish he'd get on Facebook and shut some people's mouth and Twitter and tweet and twingle. Shut their mouth. I'm going to tell you Facebook's out of hell, I believe. It was concocted by the devil to destroy lives, to, dis- to-, to uh, distribute rumors to land gossip wherever it needs to be to lie on people or to tell just enough of the truth to make it become a lie. Yeah. You be careful about what you say because we have angels around us and if he can shut the mouth of lions, he can shut yours. He could just come down here with some needle and thread or he could put a zipper on it, zip, and lock it. And the only way he could get it off is to go through the airport, then they'd knock it off for you. But I want you know notice something here. Look at their present protection. Elisha didn't have to ask for protection. Do you notice he never does that? Not one time does Elisha ask for protection. Not one time. Now, if you find it there, it's okay. I can't find it. He don't ask for protection. You know why? Because protection was already there. Elisha didn't ask for protection. It was already there. And people who are walking with God don't have to ask for protection because it's already there. And in fact, if you read, just write these verses down. Read them when you get home. Psalm 91, verse 7 through 12 says that God has put his angels so that you won't dash your foot against the stone. The devil used that to tempt Jesus. And then read Psalm 34, 7 and see how great the angels encompass about them that walk with God. And so the Bible's full of that. And and so present protection, you don't have to pray for. It's already there. In fact, Matthew 18, 10, since some of you still probably in Matthew, you never have got back to uh, 2 Kings. But in Matthew 18, 10, there's an interesting verse um, it baffles some of these folks who don't believe little children can get saved. Man, I hate to run across people like that. They infuriate me. They're not my enemies, but I don't like them. Matthew eighteen ten. listen to what it says. Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven, listen, their angels do always behold the face of their father which is in heaven. You mess with one of God's kids, and the angels are sitting there and say, God, say the word, and I'll fix it up. Just say the word. Their faces is beholding that child of God. Don't be afraid. You don't have to ask for it because the presence of God will remove fear. That's why Elisha did not fear any man or any any enemy or any group because he could see things other other people couldn't see. The clearer sight we have of the sovereignty and power of heaven, the less we shall fear the calamities of earth, Matthew Henry said. We're sure there's a militia of heaven encamped around, not only as missionaries of mercy, but as the soldiers of God to guard his people. It removes our fear. Psalm 3, 6 says, I will not be afraid of 10,000s of people that have set themselves against me, round about. Psalm 27, 3 says, though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. But let me tell you the third thing. That presence requires faith. That present protection requires faith. Elisha didn't see them, but his faith recognized them. Sometimes we don't see things, but our faith recognizes. You say, how do you know? Because it's written in the book for one thing, and another thing, the Holy Ghost is in us, and he makes us aware that there is protection. He, you might say, I, I believe, I would believe all that stuff you're talking about if I could see it. Well, you, you could see it. Why don't you think God wrote it here? Why does God have to do it again for you to believe it? I'm going have to come right down there in the middle of y'all. Y'all ain't getting nothing I'm saying. Why in the world does God have to do something again when he's already done it? You know what you're saying? I don't believe God unless God does a miracle for me. Amen. And God says in the Bible that we get greater blessings for those who hadn't seen right. than those who have seen. Right. You say, how do you see? Through the eyes of faith. That's how I see. It's written in this book, so I believe the book, so there's always protection for his children. Now, it not only, it requires faith, and this Bible is written for it. I was, uh, see, I've got time. I was, uh, I set my watch back so it won't matter. <laughs> I put my pocket watch in my pocket so I wouldn't look like at But when my girls were, uh, I don't know, they was probably, 4th, 5th grade, maybe maybe 6th or 7th. I think Sharon was playing junior high. Uh, but we was coming back from Huntsville, and the biggest game of the year was being played. Johnson High School was playing uh, Buckhorn, greatest game I've ever seen. And there was a huge group of boys who come and stood in the corners, no seats and so we took the only seats that we could find. There we were sitting there. They came over there and started cussing. They started mouthing. They started giving God a hard time. And, and I just, I, just I, I finally, I just listened to it more than I could stand. I couldn't stand anymore. And my wife's just sitting there. I know. She said, oh, God, he's going to do something. I know and get us killed. I said, boys, I'm going to tell you something. I got my girls here. I got my wife here. And I don't want to hear no more of that mess. You don't need to talk like that. We'll do anything we want to do. I said, no, you won't. I said, you're not going to talk like that in front of my children. We'll do what you want us to do. i tell you what we'll do to you too. I said, okay. And about that time I looked up, nothing had been said. Nobody could see them. They were back hidden in a corner. And there come a policeman walking through the front door. He walked through the front door, walked straight across the middle of the court, right across the half circle, and walked to right beside of me and stood by me. That's cool. Because <laughs> I was already praying, God, how deep are they going to cut me? <laughs> Man, it's wonderful to see God work. Amen. But look, let's, let's, let's do this quick. There was the method of warfare, that's prayer. Uh, the means of warfare, that's angels. The motive of warfare was God's glory, right? So, now, Let's look at our enemies and see how we're going to deal with them. I know Elisha's motives was right because of the way he treated his captives. He attacked them affectionately. You see, he does not lie in verse number 19. and go back to where I am. Elisha said to them, this is not the way and neither is this the city. He didn't lie to them. They was coming after Elijah, but who they really wanted was the king because they wanted to destroy. And the reason they couldn't destroy the king and the, and the, and the nation was that, that the prophet Elisha kept telling the king where the, where the enemy was going to be and so they would not be there. And so he said, once somebody come to him and he said, listen, somebody is going into the king's bedroom and somehow they know all of our plans. We must have some kind of inside intel going on here. Amen. But see, it was, wasn't that at all. It was just Elijah telling them what to do and where to go. And if they weren't there, when the enemy got there, guess what? <laughs> no, no loss. So Elisha it was there, and he was the object of the attack, but he didn't lie because who they really want was the king. So he just took them by the hand. And he just let them all. They just lined up. Can you, I mean, they must have lined up for a mile or two. And here they go, taking them all down, thousands of them, down to the king. He does not try to hurt these once, even though they stood helpless. You remember what he had prayed God closed their eyes, so they couldn't see. They couldn't see. You know what I believe? I believe that God can have your eyes wide open and you can be looking all around, and there may be one of your enemies or somebody you're trying to hurt, and you can't even see them. How did Jesus just pass through the midst? You think God can't do that for us? In fact, in John 12, we'll get to that when we study the book of Acts. He said greater things than I have done, shall you do. Mm. So Elisha, he tells them to, he, he blinds them, asks God to blind them, and God does. And so when they go up and bring them down captive, he does not try to hurt them one time because they were helpless now. There'll come a day, when one of your enemies will be helpless. How you going to handle that? Laugh about it? I want to give you a verse. This verse helped change my mind about my enemies. I used to have a lady in my church, not this church, thank God. She was in another church, and, and I don't care what anybody did. She said, well, God's going to get them good for that. I don't know what God was going to do to her, but God was going to get them good. Well, Proverbs 24, verse 17 and 18, you need to put you, uh, you need to d- just put some lines into that, draw your star beside of it, and listen to what it says. you all listening to me? Listen, rejoice not when thine enemy falleth, and let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth, lest the Lord see it and it displease him and he turn away his wrath from him. The best way for you not to be able to deal with your enemies is to want them to fall, to pray for their failure, to hate them in your heart. That's the best way for your enemies to be victorious. Just telling you, Look over to Proverbs 25. You didn't lost it, huh? Okay. Look, Proverbs 25, look, verse 21, great verse. You need to underline this one. If thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat. If he be thirsty, give him water to drink. For thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord shall reward thee. Now, he's not meaning to go get you the hottest coals you can get and pour on his head and hope you burn him to death. What he's saying is, is, is you show some kindness to your enemy. Because now, even though it's undeserved, they're helpless. What do we do with, what do we do about this? Here's story things I'm going to give you. I want you to write them down. I'm going to be through. That shocks you, doesn't it? When there's people who seek to injure you, when there's people who seek to do you harm, Number one, ask the Lord to render them impotent. That's number one. Here was the whole army come down. What their intentions was was to destroy Israel and destroy Elisha, and their prayer was that he would blind them. What he did was he took a powerful army and made them impotent, powerless. That's the first thing. Number two, if you have an enemy, you first ask God to render them powerless. That means they cannot hurt you. They cannot harm you. Number two, you pray that God will open their eyes. When God finally opened their eyes, things started to change in relationships. Are y'all seeing this? Number three, be kind and generous to your enemy no matter where it's deserved or not. Those three things. Ask the Lord to render your enemy impotent. Ask God to open their eyes. And thirdly, be kind. To those who probably wouldn't be kind to you. as I close tonight, I want to remind you of a few things. Romans 12:17 says, "Never pay back evil for evil." If somebody says something ugly to you and you say something ugly back to them, what does that settle other than two people now have said ugly words? If somebody does something ugly to you and you do something back to them ugly, what does that accomplish other than two people doing something ugly? Never pay back evil for evil. For in Romans 12, 17, God said, vengeance is mine. Get this. God said, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. I don't care who they are, where they are, they will get theirs. But God knows how to dish it out fairly, and we are selfish. Y'all with me? And then overcome them, overcome evil with good, killing them kindness with love. Vengeance is never enjoyed later on. I have an email laying on my desk. It's been there several weeks now from a man a few years ago with the last words he said to me. I called and said, even though he had left our church some time ago, but I heard that he was sick, and I called, and I said, I just want to call and tell you, I'm praying for you. He had cancer. He was dying. That's what he said. He said, well, I guess I thank you for calling and praying, but I'll never forgive you as long as I live. So I printed out that obituary, and I've got it laying right where I can see it. Yeah, he's done some things that I probably could have whipped him over. I probably wouldn't have any, at that time, wouldn't have any trouble doing it, but I didn't. I just wouldn't allow him to do what he was going to do at this church. But here's what I've learned. If you defend yourself, the Lord can't defend you. You got it? And it takes faith to believe that God will avenge our enemies. And it takes love not to do it ourselves. Natural instinct of this little old boy's heart is to fight anybody that messes with me. Even though I'm crippled, shoulders busted up, can't hardly get up and down, don't know, where, don't know what day it is half the time, but still when somebody does something wrong to me, first thing I want to do is take a baseball bat and just see if I'm as good as I used to be toward their head. One on the armed prophet, that's all, just one. Let a whole army captive. When he prayed that God would render them impotent, when he prayed that God would open their eyes, and when he's kind to those who hated him. Hmm. What all of Israel's battles couldn't accomplish. Kindness did. The Bible said they never came back.